the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Piccolo and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since GGTMC. I am here with my good friend uh, Pickle Loaf. I'm feeding a baby and <laughs> trying to uh, do a podcast at the same time. So this should be interesting again. So here we go. We, we have an all all South version of the GGTMC today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So basically, we'll, let's get this out of the way first because this is very important news. Uh, Large William and his wife had their uh, second child. So uh, we'd like to congratulate them, obviously. Uh, very happy for him and everything, and he decided to take the week off, which he should, because I know now from experience it's a lot of work in those first initial weeks. <laughs> those first initial weeks are a lot of work. It's a lot of work right now, as a matter of fact. So, <laughs> and to all of you listeners who aren't parents, I'm I'm, I'm still with you, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, put it off as long as you can. I'll give you that advice. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a great experience. I don't know, but I'm, I'm glad I did. I waited until I was 37 to do it, as opposed to like 22. Um, so uh, what I did was I contacted uh, Alex obviously and said you know hey look uh, Will's going to take a week off I need somebody to show with me he's like yeah fine so we we hit the Netflix instant watch and decided on a couple of films so we chose uh, uh, Strange Behavior which I believe is from 1981 I think yes and uh, then we chose uh, or Alex chose uh, Sisters uh, which is a Brian De Palma film from 73 yep so uh that is what we were going to be covering today. So, uh, with all that being said, uh, try to keep it nice and economic here and keep flowing. So, let's see what Alex has been watching. <laughs> um, it's not a lot. I, I uh, was just saying to Rick when we um, before we started recording, I've only watched, including the two from this week for the show, I've only watched seven movies since I was last on GGTMC. So, wow. I've been reading a lot more lately and. I've been watching the shit out of some uh, Doctor Who, so... <laughs> there you go. Um, I, I checked out The American a couple weeks ago in, um, in the theater. Um, I've gotten a lot of split reactions on this one. Either it's been a love it or hate it kind of thing. I mean, I've had people come into the theater and say, you guys got to get rid of this movie. It's terrible. <laughs> and I, I, I really liked it. It's slow, but it was cool. I mean, it was... Um, I thought it was really well done. Um, I watched... Turkish Rambo. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's one of those films. I think it's more uh, about the legend than the actual um, the actual film itself. It's it's there's some definite funny moments, but there's some there's some drag ass moments too. So yeah, um, that, that was the biggest problem with Turkish Star Wars is like the fun moments were fun, but there, there's so much stuff that would just drag and drag. It was like yeah, oh. it, I mean. I, they did a good job marketing it. The company that released the DVD—I can't remember their names offhand—but um, it's—I um, don't know. Indonesian action movies are still my cup of tea for C grade and lower. <laughs> nice. Um, I checked out Videodrome, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that later with the review of Strange Behavior. But the uh, 
I'd never seen this one before. I was kind of, I've been slowly going through Cronenberg's um, catalog, chronologically speaking. Um, this one was awesome. I, I, I don't know why I'd missed this one. I guess it just came out at a time when I wouldn't have seen it. You know, I was like seven right, when it came right. out, and so probably not the best time to see a stomach vag. But um, <laughs> and then um, because of Sisters, watching Sisters, I watched two more De Palma films: uh, Dressed to Kill. Um, which was incredible, um, and uh, Phantom of the Paradise, which I was kind of, I don't know, it was my third movie in a row, I was kind of getting movied out, I, it's one I'm going to have to revisit. I didn't, I didn't dislike it, but I wasn't in love with it, but right, I could right. see, um, with this film, I could see the comparisons to Rocky Horror, but I think the reason it might not be as, you know, legendary is just because the the truly camp moments were the performed things on the stage right whereas right. rocky horror it's like the whole thing is like the stage show and and i think that might be just, i think that just might be why the rocky horror kind of became lasting yeah 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 well actually i think also because rocky horror had you know more than a couple catchy tunes in it too uh yeah that might be why but no i understand that totally uh i consider it a masterpiece now but the first time i watched it, i didn't even like it so. I didn't dislike it, but it was like uh, by the end of the movie, I was like, "Okay, I'm ready to go move on to something else." So, yeah, yeah. I, I think I'll, I, I'm I'm going to watch it again. I, you know, like I said, it wasn't. Oh, it'll be one of those kind of me. yeah. It'll be one of those kind of films. I guarantee you'll you'll revisit every now and then, and I think you'll like it more probably each time. At least everybody I know who watches it usually has that same experience because the first time I saw it, uh, I thought you know this is kind of. I saw it like at a midnight showing. They showed it. Uh, they usually do, you know, like Rocky Horror midnight shows and stuff like that. Right. And uh, I saw it at a midnight showing, and uh, that was the first time I saw it. And the crowd was all into it and stuff and everything. You would think that I would be, like, you know, all into it and stuff because it was that first time. But I didn't really care for it. And then uh, several times later, I watched it on like Laserdisc of all fucking things, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, ended up falling in love with it somehow. And now I consider it one of his best films, but. Yeah, I can totally see where people can be like meh the first time they see it, or just kind of like yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. There's some really cool moments that I liked a lot. Like I said, the stage performances itself were really cool. I like the whole building the Frankenstein monster and yeah, all that. That was it was nice. So yeah. I'll have to I'll have to come back to it. All right. So is that it? That was it. Wow, that was quick. Yep. <laughs> Especially right. for me. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay, I watched a few things. I watched uh, Ruggiero Diodato's Phantom of Death. This is a. It's similar to uh, Phantom <laughs> of the Paradise, oddly. Uh, Michael York and Donald Pleasance are in the movie. It's uh, basically a musician who ends up with a grown-up case of progeria, or whatever that disease is, where you age rapidly. Right. Yeah, uh, I think that's what it's called. And uh, Michael York has some really bad makeup, and it's it's really weird. It's a weird movie. And there's this re- really great scene where Donald Pleasance running through the streets of I think it's Italy or England, going bastard. You bastard! He just keeps saying it over and over and over again. <laughs> That's worth watching. The rest of the movie is kind of it's kind of boring. It, it's a little cheesy. It does have some good uh, some good slasher deaths, and it's very gory because Diodato's doing it, so the blood is prevalent. But uh, it's it's a little boring in spots too. So that's the unfortunate part. Um, I watched uh, Splice, which I thought was kind of average. I didn't really care for it much. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I wished uh, somebody like Cronenberg would have done something like Splice. That would have been better. But uh, I did. I do admit there's there's some good scenes in it though. There's some good stuff in there. Just I didn't really care for the movie that much. My friend has a hairless cat that looks exactly like that thing that we're making. <laughs> Disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> Hope he doesn't do stuff with a hairless cat like they did with the thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. This oh, fat thing's not nearly as sexy. <laughs> <laughs> 
I watched uh, a revenge thriller that uh, Brian out in Utah told me to check out called Seven Days. It's a French-Canadian film, kind of a revenge thriller type thing. It's on Netflix Insta Watch. It's uh, it's pretty good, and I liked it quite a bit. Uh, it's a little brutal and uh, a little rough, so if people aren't into... Uh, some, some have called it torture porn, but it's not really torture porn. It's more of a revenge story about a father who loses his daughter. Uh, to a you know a child rapist and stuff, so it's pretty rough stuff. So if you can handle it, I think you'll dig it. But if you can't, it, it gets it gets pretty rough, man. <laughs> and as, as Brian said, I'll just say you know all I got to say is a chain, and that's all I got to say. That, that, mm. that, you see the movie, you'll see what I'm talking about. I watched uh, my son, my son, what have you done? That is the uh, Herzog uh, directed, David Lynch produced, weird little film. Now the only thing, the only problem I had with this movie is I liked it. But the only problem I had was it felt like Herzog was just doing what David Lynch would have done. It's like David Lynch couldn't have done it, so he hired Herzog to do it for him. And it's basically a David Lynch movie directed by Herzog. There's no Herzog in there. It just feels like a David Lynch movie to me. So it's not as visually uh, kind of crazy as Lynch films get, but it's it's good. It's just really really odd. <laughs> I mean, I wonder I wonder how much you know how often Lynch was just sitting right there on set. Yeah. Kind of. Well, I don't know. There's no telling. It, it was shot in L.A., so I imagine he was probably there quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, whenever you get Michael Shannon talking to two pet flamingos like they're <laughs> like they're dogs, I mean, it's a, it's very it's a very odd movie. So uh, that was one of the other ones I watched. I watched uh, Titanic Two, which is <laughs> the Asylum Wow uh, labeled sequel. Uh, it really has nothing to do with Titanic. It's just basically this movie about you know rebuilding a big boat and they name it Titanic Two, and then oh. it's a global warming type movie from Asylum and stuff. So it's pretty lame. But if you uh, watch Asylum movies like I do, <laughs> you, you expect the same thing. Uh, that's a great exploitive title though, Titanic Two. I love that. Yeah, I was really hoping you, uh, the ship was going to be raised from the bottom of the sea somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been crazy. I watched uh, yesterday. I watched Color Me Kubrick, which is a uh, Film with John Malkovich playing a con man who tried to pass himself off as Stanley Kubrick. Uh, not very good. It wasn't as entertaining as I wanted it to be. It's kind of silly, really. Didn't really get into mm-hmm. it that much. And uh, finally, I watched uh, Piranha 3D. Now, I had no aspirations for Piranha 3D to be great. Uh, I expected it to be pretty good. I didn't expect it to be great. I, I, I love Piranha 3D. I think it's one of the best of the new kind of horror exploitation. This has been a pretty good year for, like, exploitation films really because the expendables is kind of exploitation and piranha 3d's exploitation and you get some uh, what machete i thought was pretty good and so it's been a pretty good year for that uh but piranha 3d arguably my son's laughing at me while i'm talking on the <laughs> uh piranha 3d arguably for me could possibly end up on my top 10 list of the year that's how much fun i wow. have with it. i mean it's it's a blast Did i you- haven't gotten to see that one it, it is it's a, it's a strange it's a strange year for i guess Genre movie speaking, you know, coming out again. Maybe that's going to be a a new Hollywood fad. Maybe the I mean, I was going to say maybe the anti 3D, but that doesn't make sense if Piranha's in 3D. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only thing about Piranha 3D that hurts it a little bit is is the effects are dodgy, especially. Uh, you know, I mean, if I saw it in a, in a three dollar theater with no 3D, so <laughs> I, so they projected it normally, you know. So, but the effects were still pretty dodgy. And uh, but you know I got past that and I got I just kind of rolled with it and stuff and it was it was a whole lot of fun man I I, I can't recommend it highly enough I think uh, people that listen to the GGTMC will love it it's real short too and it's just real perfect in a lot of ways because it sets itself up well and then it just goes fucking balls to the wall for like twenty or thirty minutes toward the back end so speaking of dodgy did you see the 
Sharktopus on sci-fi. <laughs> I, I didn't check that out. No, I didn't get a chance to see that. I, I don't have cable, so I can't watch it, but I've seen the little animated GIFs of it. It looks, I mean, <laughs> it looks pretty silly. You know, big yeah. shark head and octopus body and, yeah. I was invited by Brian from Movie Meltdown to come over to his house to watch it when it premiered, but I didn't get a chance to get over there, so <laughs> that's the way it goes. All right, so that is all I watched. So uh, what we'll do is we'll take a short break, and then we'll get into some reviews. I guess we'll review... Uh, I don't care. Let's just, let's do uh, strange behavior first. We'll do that first. Okay, baby. All right, we'll be back right after this. In a world that has a country called England, three cinephiles battle weekly against the onslaught of movie releases. They review, dissect, and discuss until each is defeated. Jordan is. The host, Ian, is the sweary one, and Noel is the grandpa, and together they are the 35mm heroes. Dig it, bitches. A uh, track for the Funky Sixteen Corners. I got two of those this week, so nice. That was one. I wish I could tell you the title of it, but uh, no hands, no way to look. <laughs> so <laughs> this is the way it goes. <laughs> I, I appreciate the track though from uh, Larry. So very, very thankful. All right. So our first review is uh, Strange Behavior from 1981. Uh, this one's directed by Michael Laughlin or Lachlan. I guess you could say his name that way. Laughlin, Lachlan. Either way, Australian. Laughlin, Laughlin. Yeah, Laughlin. <laughs> And uh, written by Bill Con- Con- Bill Condone, Bill Con- Bill Condon of some of all people. So, uh, yeah. So here we go. It's a uh, scientist is experimenting with teenagers and turning them into murderers. Uh, all right. So uh, I picked this one. Uh, I've seen it once before, a long time ago. Don't know how I felt about it then. Felt a little differently about it this time around. Let's see what Alex thought. Go ahead, buddy. Um. Well, uh, this was a. I felt like at first I was watching the wrong film. I don't know why. I was just like. <laughs> Yeah. I saw that it was Australian or something, and then as I was watching, I was like, how is this an Australian movie? You know. Um, well, you can tell when they start trying to pass it off as America, small-town America, uh, you start to see semblances of where it's not very American-looking. There's a certain things that just seem very un-American about it. Oh, you'll have to... I, I, I totally missed whatever that was, so... Well, the one um, thing I can think of is that kid selling flowers on the side of the road. That, that was like... Oh, yeah, yeah. You could just tell that wasn't America when he was pulling. There's like these certain kind of mile markers and stuff on the road, and I was like, that's not America. <laughs> the, the, the film sets, uh, starts off with kind of like setting the tone for how everything's going to be with the, the, the power goes off in the, the guy's house, and, you know, for some reason there's still a light on in their hallway, but yeah, the... Yeah. Um, <laughs> this guy is like you know digging around he gets a, he gets a candle and then uh, he starts doing <laughs> shadow puppets but like <laughs> a really bad bird shadow puppet on the wall yeah. i don't and know then, what, like, I, don't, I don't even know what that was it looked more like a <laughs> it looked more like a face hugger from alien than it did <laughs> I, God, it was so weird and then the and then like you see I, I don't think i'm spoiling anything it happens in the first minute but the 
you know, that you see the stabbing, but just the via the shadow, and it's like it it could have been a mannequin doing it. Yes, <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was a very stiff, uh, stiff shadow stabbing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and there's like the, the I guess um, the the film kept kind of moving back and forth. It would be this you know very stiff acting, and there's a lot of um, static shots um, where the camera would just kind of be sitting there and people would be moving in and out of the frame, yeah, which was kind yeah. of weird. Like somebody's head would be cut off or, yeah. And, yeah. um, I don't know if maybe that was a weird cropping of some of the, the copy we watched or, I don't, I don't know. What. Maybe, maybe, I mean, you know, these Netflix instant watches. I don't know always if you get the optimal aspects ratio when you watch them. I know there's been some that I've seen that have been a little, they look almost pan and scan. Like they would be uh, back in the old days when they broadcast them on TV. Right. Right. Um, See, we, you, I mean, you'd go from that, and like you'd go from some really stiff acting to these weird, like, what made me think of it at first, the, um, the car driving scene, and like, the, oh yeah, <laughs> it's just, there's this kind of weird music playing, and the cameras in the back seat, and it's kind of panning to the side, and there's a guy running beside the car. Yeah, those and, car, those car driving scenes are all odd. They give they give the film this kind of weird, kind of dreamlike quality for some reason to me. Right, and, and and I wrote down that it felt, for some reason, that and the the way the housekeeper was talking about the town. Yeah, there's a scene where she's talking to the two guys. It kind of made me think, felt like a Coen Brothers movie for a minute. Yeah, it was just because everybody was kind of like everybody kind of had this dark side. Like everything felt dark, but even though it was you know obviously daytime. Yeah, yeah. And everybody keeps on talking about this approaching storm and everything like that, and which actually. I don't recall if it ever, ever really happened. Not not as bad as they said it was going to. But no, I don't remember. I don't. Did it even rain at all? I <laughs> I can't. I was trying to think of. Like, I even saw like lightning or anything. I don't even remember. But <laughs> um, there's um, and it, well, later on the the tone kind of shifts, and this is where it comes back to what I was talking about earlier with um with Videodrome. The some of the clinical scenes they they show there's there's Scenes that happen in a lab with experiments going on, which kind of is hinted at in the in the tagline there, the, yeah, yeah. the, the synopsis. But um, it, I started getting a Cronenberg feel then. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but like, I'm trying to think of how to explain it. Like, it's like horror presented matter-of-factly. Yeah. Okay. Like, it's a clinical feel. It's like, you know, there's some really weird things going on, but it's just that's part of that world and that nobody's really kind of looking strange at it like the part that got me with that is there's a kid walking down the hallway and there's these animals in boxes and people with things taped to their head and he's not even flinching he's just like oh he's just walking along and that that was at that moment i was like uh, that was what gave me that feeling i guess yeah it, it kind of sets itself up to where you know that's all part of its normal universe so nobody questions it. that goes as far to say as does that exist even when when you come to the cop the, the lead character played john played by michael murphy the john brady character uh, he didn't. He's got all this stuff going on in his town, and the whole time I'm thinking, dude, don't you even wonder where your son is at all? <laughs> <laughs> he was fun. I liked him. He was. <laughs> I loved when he would have his little his little angry outbursts. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'll talk about his angry outburst, especially his really weird one toward the back end. <laughs> he was fun. Um, the there's a party in the middle. I guess it was kind of close to the beginning that I loved. Um, I thought it was like an indie rocker kind of party. They were playing these like '60s music yeah. and new wave, and everybody had these really weird, trashy costumes. Yeah, yeah. That I loved, and I loved 
there's a Batman costume in there. Oh yeah, <laughs> that looks like a Mexican bootleg costume. <laughs> oh my god, I need that costume. It was hilarious. It's all his like floppy bat ears. And yeah, it was all the wrong color. Oh, it was awesome. The uh, the uh, after watching Heavenly Bodies last week, we watched Heavenly Bodies last week, which had mm-hmm. kind of like working out and dancing in it and stuff. The the dancing in this film is questionable, but uh, it was fun. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Was a strange party scene. I liked it, and um, there's a uh, somebody I called McDonald's coroner. I think he was showing Michael Murphy's <laughs> characters a body, and he was wearing a like a mesh hat and a red matching red shirt. And oh, he was terrible. Yeah. It, easily the the worst <laughs> acting moment in the whole film. You know what that is that's one of those situations where. They got the, the the boom guy or the key grip guy on the on the corner. Like, do we need somebody to play the corner? <laughs> oh, shit, we need a corner. And the the outfit was so strange. Like McDonald, like it, it did look like a old eighties McDonald's uniform. Was that, I think it was you that once before said he, uh, something about a war fisherman. That's what he reminded me of. He reminded me of, like some... <laughs> that was you guys. You guys last week talked about somebody like that. He's <laughs> like just some guy that came. You know, they pulled up off the uh, off the warfare. Like, do we need a corner? I'm like, well, if, uh... you, if you're going to cast the war fisherman, you probably don't want to put him in the corner role. <laughs> Right, um, you know, like the, um, the 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 film had some uh, uh, some things going for it, but at the same time, the the, the stiff acting kind of took me out at times. Like, um, oh yeah, yeah. And, and there's just some weird moments, like the you know these. I guess they were on a college campus, so it kind of makes sense. But there are people like discover something in a car. Uh-huh. And they're playing frisbee in the middle of the night or something. Yeah. But it's yeah. so weird. This guy in the little shorts comes up and does a little finger spin, and it's like they they spend a little while on the frisbee. But like, and the girl gets pissed at him for doing something. I'm like, you're playing frisbee at night. You're already an idiot. So. Yeah. I, I, I don't know who ever plays frisbee. I know they made back when I was a kid. They made glow in the dark frisbees, and we tried to play at night and stuff. And that's dangerous. That's a tricky. Yeah, it's a tricky proposition, man. You could lose a tooth uh, playing frisbee late at night. Yeah, my brother and I had this football that was um, made out of these plastic beads that had kind of been melted together, and you could push a glow stick inside of it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Another bad idea, by the way. That football was hard as hell. but <laughs> um, And... Um, the, there, there's another funny actor that's kind of reminded me of the McDonald's corner. There's this—he's kind of like the deputy sheriff, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. he had some—he had some really cool lines in it. But I think my favorite one is uh, <laughs> somebody asks him what he's doing. He's going through a stack of photos, and he just says, "We're gonna find the fat ones." <laughs> yeah. yeah there's, uh, there's no politically correct way to put it, but they when they talk about people that are fat in this movie, they just flat out say fat. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we're gonna find the fat ones, and he had the old man voice saying it. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. And um, and I, you know, the, the I guess the strong characters for me, the um, I did like I like Michael Murphy a lot. Um, you know, he's not he he stands out in the film. I don't know if he was fantastic or anything, but he um, yeah, he stands out in the movie. I I don't think he's great in the movie, but I think it's just that everybody else is kind of subpar, and so he kind of stands out a little bit more. Yeah, and then I I, I liked the um. Well, the female doctor, I was really hope I was really waiting for when she was going to take off her shirt. I don't know why. I just felt like it was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And there was another scene. There's they showed a scarecrow, and it looked like a <laughs> the face of the scarecrow looked like a mix of Michael Myers and Leatherface. Yeah. And I was certain that thing was going to move. I don't know why. It had nothing. It would have had nothing to do with the movie, but it just looked like. I don't know if they built it specially for the movie. They just found it, and they're like, oh, this thing looks creepy. Let's put this in there really quick. It's it's a weirdly gory, or not gory maybe, but it's kind of a weirdly kind of slasher 
kill for a movie where everybody else is basically just getting stabbed. Like, there's a lot of ankle and leg stabbing in this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the well, the the other one I wanted to mention, the Doctor Lassange. Um, I thought he was pretty cool. I mean, he was very dramatic, but you know, the, the times that you see him um, on the monitor and such, yeah. he, uh, <laughs> I, I liked him for some reason. He was kind of creepy, and um, we well, had the hit. He had that uh, old school like horror voice, like like, yeah, he, like, yeah. he, like he was doing a Bela Lugosi impersonation or something. And his name means the blood. I looked that up. Oh, really? Sange is oh, okay. French for blood or gore. So, and uh, you know what? Well, I it, it, this movie felt, and it, it's happened with sisters too. It feels a little hard to, to talk about fully without kind of spoiling spoiling some stuff because you know you have the slasher element in it, but it's kind of like. The reason behind it is kind of the story, and I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to spoil any anything that goes on. So, okay, all right, that sounds. Well, go ahead, go ahead. I, I don't want to keep just rambling. So, no, okay, I'm just going to go go along with you here. Uh, I don't. Yeah, we can't. I don't want to spoil basically what the game plan is and stuff. But this reminded me, of course, of uh, Disturbing Behavior. I think was that movie they made in the '90s or, or right beginning of 2000, somewhere around there. Um, I can look that up while you're talking. So. Yeah, it was a some kind of. Uh, I don't know, similar kind of movie, and uh, you know, I and mean, a similar kind of title. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it kind of reminded me that uh, first. Let me let me get this out of the way first because this is the one thing that really bothered me. Has anybody ever had a relationship with their dad where they're a teenager and they walk into the bathroom while their dad's brushing his teeth and fucking butt naked? <laughs> that was so weird. I don't know why I didn't write that down because I was, <laughs> he's just standing there with his. With his twig and berries just hanging, out. you don't see that. You see it from the backside, but <laughs> yeah. And if, if anybody knows, if any ma- men know this, when you wake up in the morning, I mean, you know, the the soldiers at attention, you know. And <laughs> the one thing you don't want to do is walk into the bathroom while your dad's brushing his teeth with you know your, a boner <laughs> just standing there. And I'm sitting there thinking, who has this kind of relationship with their dad? You know, but maybe there's some people out there that do. I don't know. Listeners, write in if you had that kind of relationship with your father, or maybe not. <laughs> I think that what they were getting at is that they had, you know, since the mom had died fairly early, I think what they were getting at is they were kind of like more buddies. Yeah, yeah. Than father son, but even though I mean, I've had guy roommates and we didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was after I got to a certain age, I was never really comfortable like being nude around my friends. Right. Uh, <laughs> You know, outside of like a locker room where I had to take a shower. So, you know, that's even a, then, whatever. I didn't want to do it there either. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't want to do that either because, you know, there'd be other friends that were more gifted than me. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to come out around those guys. I had a, I had a friend that had a, he had a PE class with Vince Carter, by the way. Oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah. I heard legendary stories out of that locker room. <laughs> yeah. I bet. I bet. Um, you talked about the weird feel, the kind of car tracking shots, dreamlike tone. I kind of like that. Uh, yeah. Okay, so there, this is another one of those movies with insults that I always laugh at. I always love these 80s movies with their insults to each other. And this one has got that great scene in the classroom. Like, oh, you're blah, blah, your mom. And he's like, I'll get my mom to come up here and kick your ass. <laughs> and, and then he does the little chin thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, ugh, like wiping off it. I don't know what that's called, but yeah. kind of like brushing your fingers under your chin. I'm like, wow, you really told him. Mom's going to come and kick his ass. <laughs> then they're walking down the hall and he's like, man, you couldn't get an A on Sesame Street. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> But, you know, that's one of those things where the writer sometimes sits around and goes, oh, i got to think of what the young kids say, the young hip kids say to each other when they want to be mean to each other. And I'm like, well, they never can quite get it right for some reason. Not even close. <laughs> um, there's one moment where you see them going to the the the, uh, the campus, and I, I swore, man, that the guy that played Jimmy Olsen in the original Superman movie, 
uh, his friend or whatever, because that's where yeah, that's what I remember him from. Is he played Jimmy? Oh Wilson. yeah, <laughs> I knew I recognized that guy. I <laughs> yeah. didn't look him up. Yeah, uh, he. Uh, I swear there was one moment where I thought he was going to get hit by a car, man. Uh, he's walking across and this car goes by, man, and I swear he was going to get hit by that car because he <laughs> he just barely gets out of the way. That car didn't know they were filming anything. Yeah, <laughs> he just barely got out of the way. Now, do you remember? Uh, do you remember Dan Shore, the the lead, the young kid? Do you remember him from anything else? No. Uh, he was in Tron. You might remember him now if you think about uh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pete, Pete Brady. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was in Tron. You might remember that. So he uh, he didn't go on to much better things. I mean, he ended up playing stuff in like Air Force One, like character actors and stuff. But there in the early 80s, he had a couple moments. But uh, Tron is probably what he's most known for. Um, how about the chicken example? Uh, 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 you know, watching a chicken raise one leg and the other leg, uh, that's not, uh, that doesn't make suspense. <laughs> I like this little helmet, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little helmet on the chicken there. It was kind of odd. Uh, just a weird experience. But I, I did like that guy that played uh, the, the doctor, Dr. Lassange. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm looking him up right now. The baby's in the swinger right now, so I can look around. He, uh, let's see what else he's done, if he's done anything else. They spelled his name wrong on Internet Movie Database. Oh, he's been in a lot of stuff. He's been like in he character actor in like Moulin Rouge. He's, been, he's in Gods and Monsters. He's been he's he's one of those character actors where I've seen his face before, but I couldn't tell you what in. But it looks like he's been in a lot of stuff. Oh yeah, he's in Special Squad TV show. Uh, anyway, yeah, so he was in a he was he was fun. Uh, I liked him, especially you know toward the end of the film where he's a lot of fun. Uh, and then all of a sudden I'm I'm watching this movie and Nurse Ratchet shows up. Fucking uh, Louise Fletcher shows up. I didn't even know she was. <laughs> I forgot she was even in the movie. <laughs> And uh, she shows up, and she, you know, plays the younger kind of replacement wife for the dad. And uh, poor Louise Fletcher, she's a good actress, but I've never thought she's an attractive lady at all. And uh, she looks—I th- I think she looked a little older than she actually was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, she was supposed to play this kind of young, kind of replacement kind of character, but uh, for the mom uh, that passed away, but uh, didn't quite work out that way. And there's a whole backstory involving the mom and Lassange and stuff. And I'm not giving stuff away. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, but, you know, I don't get into all that. But she just seemed kind of weird in the film in, in some ways. Uh, the girl in the film, Day Young, she was in quite a few movies uh, that I, I like. Uh, one of my favorite movies she's actually in. She's in Rock and Roll High School. She played the uh, Kate Rambeau character in Rock and Roll High School. And uh, she was in a couple other movies. <laughs> she played she played the waitress in Spaceballs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she went from rock and roll high school. Running man, hmm. yeah, evidently. Yeah. I don't. I don't. She's she's one of those faces. Like I don't really remember her, but you know, when you look through her list, you're like, okay, I've seen that. I've seen that. I wonder what she was in that. So. Now I have to believe that Michael Laughlin. Uh, he he had to have seen Halloween because uh, there's some shots in here that are so reminiscent of Halloween. Yeah. There's one shot where they're tracking two characters. They they come down to two characters and they talk about Sally Brown or something. They're like, hey, man, Sally Brown gets around. <laughs> and then the other guy's like, dude, she's 13. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was a pretty funny moment. Anyway, the uh, she uh, they, they kind of track to her house after that. They go to her house and kind of track into her house a little bit and track up. But she climbs out the window and stuff. And I have to believe that was... Completely reminiscent of Halloween in a lot of ways. Even the lighting looked like Halloween, so it, it was it was a good shot. It was there were some nice tracking shots. I mean, the car shots were weird, uh, but they added a nice quality somehow to uh, to uh, to the film. Uh, it gave it a nice, and it's got that nice eighties blown out look too. You know what I mean? That kind yeah. of it's kind of Vaseline filter type look a little bit, and it, they felt like they were slowed down almost a little bit. Like 
I don't, I don't know if that was a hundred percent speed. It was like, if it was like 95% as fast as normal, you know, like yeah. it, they, they weren't slow motion, but they didn't, they, they felt like kind of floaty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, Lachlan, he didn't do a whole lot, but he did, uh, he did help produce, uh, two lane blacktop. I do know that. I know his name from that, but that's all I know him from. Other than that, uh, it's like he did strange invaders, which I don't even know if I ever saw that. Did I see that? He did a movie called strange behavior and a movie called strange invaders. Which looks like something that we would watch at some point. Yeah, it's got. Yeah, that. it's got it's got a midnight one of those MGM midnight movie release DVDs. I think it's got a hell of a cast to it too. Jesus, it's like almost everybody in this movie's in that movie too. <laughs> they probably filmed those at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it's like a sequel or something. I'm gonna have to check it out. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen Strange Invaders. Oddly enough, it's one no, of those, I haven't. It's one of those ones where I don't know if I've ever seen it. Uh, the doctor, the uh, the doctor. Yeah, she was in. Uh, I remember her in uh, Inner Space, Joe Dante's movie. Uh, she played a doctor in that too, and uh, <laughs> she played. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think she played Doctor Canker, which I always, <laughs> which I always thought was a funny name, Doctor Canker. So, <laughs> but she always plays doctors, man. She was in. Uh, she was in. Uh, I'm looking through her filmography here. She was in uh, Brian De Palma's The Fury as well, and played a doctor in that. So there's a little tie into the show there. I don't know if you've ever seen The Fury. It's pretty good. You think you probably I was, like it. Uh, that, I haven't. I, I like I said, like uh, like I said, Scarface was my my latest or sorry earliest De Palma that I had ever seen. So nice. But she's got uh, she's got quite a filmography. She's got quite a bit of genre stuff in her filmography. Some good stuff in there too. And uh, so definitely check her out. I, I believe you want to see her nude. You might want to see one of her Ken Russell films or something like that. <laughs> Not that I wanted to. I was just <laughs> expecting it to happen for some reason. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't know why. It's like I was in that '80s movie frame of mind, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. <laughs> um, let's see here. A couple more notes. Uh, Waldo doesn't even need a door for his car, which I thought was interesting. Uh, oh, that was. <laughs> why did it, did it have a door on the other side? <laughs> I don't even know, man. It's like it's like it, it's obviously was shot. You know, not to, not to be biased or anything, but obviously it was shot in Australia because we all know the Australians and their cars. <laughs> You know, they, they, you know, uh, from the Mad Max movies, nobody has doors, nobody has anything. So. It just needed a rusty stack coming through the hood of the car. <laughs> yeah. So very interesting. Uh, uh, the detective from Chicago, uh, he's got some pretty great uh, lines in the film, too. He comes in, he's telling his story about, you know, he's giving you a background of his character, and he's kind of talking about the those kind of nurse murders that uh, Richard Speck did, I believe, in, in Chicago. But it's kind of it's kind of exactly not like those murders. It's it's, it's just kind of the basic story, but... He's telling a story about it, you know, like you know, like workman stories. Like people get together and they're like, "Oh yeah, today I had to do this and blah blah blah." And he's saying, he's saying at one point he goes, a "Little ass over here, a little tit over there." <laughs> and I'm like, "What the hell? Did he just say that?" I had to I had to rewind it to make sure I heard that right. <laughs> he just kind of he would just kind of wander into their office. He never knocked on the door or anything. Yeah, it's kind of nonchalant. It's really odd. Uh, I feel like they shot all of those office scenes at, like in one day. <laughs> Why wouldn't you know what I was just thinking? If it was supposed to, I think it was supposed to be set in Ohio. Why? Why would a detective from Chicago be coming to help out with a? Did they ever say? Because I remember seeing an Ohio State plaque on the wall, and I just assumed it was Ohio for some reason, but maybe it wasn't. I don't even know if they ever actually said where it was because I don't remember them ever saying it. Because I remember thinking this was shot in Australia. I knew that for a fact, but I never, I never once got an idea that what middle town America they were trying to portray it as because they never really said anything. You might hear my son talk in the background. Sometimes when I talk, he likes to talk to me, so you might hear him <laughs> occasionally yell and scream at me. The uh, the deputy sheriff, you're talking about that old guy, right? The, uh, the skinny skinny guy? 
No, well, the detective, the detective, oh. the Chicago detective you were just talking about, because he would just walk in. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. But then I was like, but I was just thinking, if this took place in Ohio, why would a Chicago detective be coming out, coming to help with the case? So. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's odd. They, I don't know why they called him. In, uh, maybe they were trying. I think they were actually. You know what? I think at one point they were trying to portray it as like uh, Middle America, Illinois. Okay, I, I didn't know because I just remember the Ohio State plaque, and maybe that's just what, made, what that's what made me think it was took place in Ohio. Yeah, it might have been Illinois. They were trying to portray it as I can't remember okay. exactly, but uh, yeah. Um, the house the housekeeper sequence is pretty good. That scene where the housekeeper comes in, she's going to talk to the you know she's going to fix the boy some food and stuff, and mm-hmm. that scene that was she, pretty good. Yeah, that that was what you know what I was mentioning. That was that was when it gave me the Cohen feel. Just everybody seemed like darker than what they. Uh, were portraying on the outside and and the way they the way they would treat her was pretty funny and they were just like had his feet up on the table and throwing shit on the floor I mean, <laughs> like oh you're the housekeeper you'll clean it up yeah and then she but then she didn't of course yeah yeah well you know. but yeah there's a great scene that's a great scene where she's uh describing the girl as uh brown hair kind of fat uh large and everybody then everybody at that point calls, calls her a fat girl and but it's a, it's a good scene. There's good tracking shots in it. Although it's weird because it starts out as a scene of kind of lightheartedness. She's kind of like walking around smiling because she's acting like she's playing hide and seek with this little boy. Sorry, I I totally thought you were talking about the earlier. Okay, yeah, yeah. You, you, I, I was off. I was off. I, I forgot this. I didn't know you were talking about this particular. Okay. Oh yeah. Sorry. I don't know. If, is it? I wonder if it's the same housekeeper. Now that I think about it, do you think it's the same one? I can't remember. I don't think it was because um, the she was. Uh, Looking for a, a younger kid, it seemed like. Yeah, yeah. And and when she discovered something, her description of that something sounded like that per that thing didn't belong where she was. If that makes <laughs> yeah. sense. Yeah. But it was a weird scene anyway because she at the beginning she started walking around. She's acting like it's a big game and stuff, and then mm-hmm. uh, she's walking around doing all this stuff, and she's kind of smiling and stuff. And there's this weird kind of weird smile on her face, and I was like, this is kind of a weird scene altogether. But it it really stands out in the movie is. There's a lot of fun and stuff. Uh, ooh, I was just looking through the trivia for this film on the IMDb. It says Koskinski turned down the role of Dr. Lassange. Oh. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> that would have been a good one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, the back end of the film is just weird because Michael Murphy gets upset now, and, and now all of a sudden he's going to get the female doctor, and he starts he starts taunting her with like sexual threats. <laughs> he's like, this time I'm going to give you the big one. <laughs> And I'm like, what, what? Where'd this come from? Where, why, why all of a sudden is he getting all sexual with her? <laughs> so Michael Murphy kind of comes off as like this normal everyday Joe who does his job and raises his child and gave up a lot to raise his boy and everything and lost his wife. And then all of a sudden he starts running around with a shotgun, uh, threatening the female doctor sexually. <laughs> he does, and his glasses are not tough at all. <laughs> no, no, not, the, not that he doesn't look like. Not that he looks like the toughest guy ever, but. Those giant, those giant spectacles on his face did not lend to uh, the vigilante <laughs> feel. That was really weird. It's like you know, most people in the back end of a movie, in the back end of your action movie, or the your when your scene is ending or your movie's ending and stuff, you uh, you uh, get dressed up, you know, like Rambo. You put the headband on, you do all this stuff. This guy throws on a pair of glasses that Clark Kent would be impressed by. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, I mean, it's just really weird. He throws on, and, and he becomes like anti-masculine once he does that. And it's like you know, <laughs> you, you have to you have to be going to this last scene being kind of masculine. And he does the exact opposite. Yeah. Like, so it was kind of weird, uh, weird experience. But uh, yeah, I don't really have many more notes on the film. If there's anything else you want to talk about, about it. 
Um, no, we can move. Uh, we can go ahead and grade it. All right, uh, go ahead. Let's see what you got. Um, well, I for the MVT, I wanted to go with the clinical feel that I got from kind of the midpoint, but mm-hmm. it didn't hold long enough for me. Okay. Um, so I, I I went with uh, Michael Murphy, um, okay. which is, might be an obvious choice. He was probably he was the strongest actor. He wasn't necessarily the most entertaining because there were some entertainingly bad stuff about like, pieces, but. Uh, he was he was funny, especially you know, like we talked about putting the glasses on and stuff. And um, he was one, another one of those actors in this movie that you're, you're going to see. And you know, if you're not familiar with his name, you're going to recognize his face. But I thought he was definitely solid. Mm-hmm. Um, make or break um, that first lab scene that I talked about the with the boy, you know, that young kid peddling the bike and animals in boxes. It was it's kind of understated, creepy. There was this like low key, eerie music, and I thought that was cool. Like it's that kind of like made the movie for me. Like it wasn't my favorite movie ever. I mean, it was it was solid. I, I liked it. It was. I gave it a six point two five out of ten. It was. Um, I, you know, like I said, I, I didn't dislike it. There were some moments that dragged for me, but you know, I don't know. It was it was solid. It was a better idea than I think execution. Okay. There's some there, there's some stuff that you can giggle at with how strange the decisions are that, to have it done, and then. But uh, you know, I think it's it a cool, cool idea. So. Yeah, I think its biggest problem is it's a little slow, and yeah. uh, you know, I've seen some people who've watched it since it's been on Netflix since to watch. Hey, this movie was produced by David Hemmings of all people, who starred in Dario Argento's Deep Red. So weird. It's, uh, <laughs> um, oh no, sorry, that was the other movie. That's the, so weird. There's another name I wrote down that I, he sounded familiar to. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's a little slow. So I don't know if everybody would get into it at all. I mean, if you get into it, it's pretty okay. Uh, but I, I agree with you. My score is going to be exactly the same. Actually, uh, my MVT is going to be the cinematography, which I was looking through while you were talking there. Who? What else this guy shot? And I'm looking through here, and like you know, the, he shot a lot of like um, basically exploitation movies like blazing stewardesses and uh black samurai and delinquent schoolgirls, and so you wouldn't come you wouldn't think that he'd shoot this i i think the movie looks really good I mean, it looks really good yeah. that's the one thing you can say about it and so like he got really good he didn't shoot much more after this shot strange invaders oddly enough the i guess the <laughs> sequel well, the only art. thing i would say there's those weird shots where people are kind of get cut off like i didn't yeah. understand like yeah. especially in the office when you know you said it seemed like they filmed it in one day yeah it would have a, a thick shot of somebody sitting at the desk, and then like some guy would walk in and kind of see half his back, and that was a curious decision, I think. But yeah. other than that, yeah, I have to believe that it was probably on purpose. I don't, I don't know, but it might have just been the aspect ratio of the film we watched too. So right, right. But I'll give it to the cinematography. Uh, make or break is the housekeeper scene for me. That was a lot of fun. I did like the scene with the uh, stalking Tor Johnson uh, <laughs> mask. <laughs> the, the Tor Johnson mask coming through the woods was a lot of fun too. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a, that was cool. Yeah, I like those too. Yeah, so it was a little bit of fun. Uh, as always, when they do movies, whenever there's a swimming pool around, like I always say, whenever there's a swimming pool around, somebody's got to fall in it. So <laughs> it's like it's like nobody in movies sees swimming pools. You know, <laughs> I mean, Jesus. I mean, I don't know how dark it's got to be to see a swimming pool, but I guess it's got to be pretty damn dark. Uh, the middle, I don't know who builds a swimming pool out in the middle of nowhere, but anyway, <laughs> my score is exactly the same. A six point two five. It's good. Uh, it's not great. Uh, it's a good time waster, I guess. The, it, the important thing is, I guess, it's not long, so it kind it kind of flows pretty good. It's a little slow, but uh, I kind of had fun with it. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of logical or illogical stuff going on in the movie, and you could make fun of it all day long. But as a simple little time wasting horror movie, it's it's kind of fun. So. Yep. All right. So that is our review of Strange Behavior. We're going to take a short break. Come back and talk about Brian De Palma's sisters. We'll be back right after this. 
Are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like? Whether it's music, movies, TV, or whatever you're into, head on over to the Palaver.com forums. <clears throat> yes, but forums and message boards are elitist and archaic. Well, yeah, maybe if you're an asshole. Palaver.com is home to all your favorite podcasts. So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's palaver.com. P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Sixteen Corner song. That's, that song sounds like something like Fred Sanford would listen to as he's cruising around his his car, <laughs> his <there>. jalopy truck. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of had that little feel to it. All right, so our uh, second film is Sisters from nineteen seventy three. I'll let you synopsize, and we'll get talking about this one. All right, it's kind of a kind of a crappy synopsis here on Internet Movie Database, but this is a nineteen seventy three Brian De Palma. I know this isn't his first, but definitely an early feature mm-hmm. for him. Yeah. Um, the synopsis says, sibling rivalry begins when orphan twins raised by nuns are finally separated after years of togetherness. Um, that really has very little to do with the actual story, but I guess we'll roll with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, Yeah. okay. So this is Brian DePalma. Yeah, this is definitely not his uh, first. I was just looking through his filmography again to see where it fell. Uh, it's probably the beginning of the Brian DePalma you know. Yeah. Uh, let's say that. This is the beginning of kind of like what uh, most people know is Brian De Palma, especially the uh, 70s Brian De Palma, the thriller Brian De Palma. Uh, he did Family of the Paradise after this, and then, of course, some other pretty good uh, Hitchcockian-type films like Obsession and arguably carries Hitchcockian, The Fury, all that kind of stuff, and Dress to Kill, which I've always, often said on here is the is the, um, the American giallo, to say the least. Uh, it was awesome. Yeah, it's pretty good stuff. And just some, I don't want to give away any plot things, but there's just you know a great moment in that film <laughs> that's just like, what the hell? Uh, anyway, uh, okay, so I've seen the Sisters before. I'm a big fan of De Palma's 70s stuff, especially. I think he pretty much kind of fell off the radar for me a little bit right around, right after Scarface. Uh, Scarface I like, but I don't love. Uh, it's I'm kinda, not a huge fan of Scarface either. I've seen it a couple times. I think I actually own it, but yeah. I mean, yeah. it was it was the earliest De Palma I had seen. And, uh-huh. you know, for a while I thought it was the only, and I'd go through the go through his filmography and was like, oh, wait, I've seen that. I, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. And I guess they weren't enough to, for me to say that it was a Brian De Palma film or the, enough to remember it. So my my reason for choosing this, I guess, is, you know, Will especially has been trumpeting his earlier work for quite a while, and I've been yeah. meaning to watch it, so now was my chance. Yeah, his run from Sisters to Blowout is pretty good. Uh, it's it's a hell of a run. Um there's some odd ones in there, uh, home movies being one of the odd ones. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a weird movie. Uh, this if you just uh, click on it and look at the box art for home movies, you'll see why it's so weird. Uh, but 
there's a uh, there's there's some uh, weird movies in there, but I mean that's a pretty good run. I mean, it really is. Body Double's good, and then of course around the time he started doing Wise Guys and Untouchables is when he started getting into Hollywood films. And I don't I don't know what happened. I don't know if he just just, just kind of got tired. <laughs> <laughs> I like the I like the drawing of Kirk Douglas on the front of that. Yeah. It's like it looks like something from like an old <laughs> magazine before they before they got politically correct. <laughs> yikes. Yeah. yeah, yikes is the word. Uh very odd. Anyway, uh uh but he's he's had great moments in between. I mean Raising Cain was okay from ninety two. It's okay. Uh Casualty War is pretty good. Uh I like Casualty War a lot anyway. Um and uh, you know, there's some other stuff in there. Uh, recently, though, he's really kind of really fallen off the map. He tried to get back to kind of his old style with Femme Fatale, but it didn't work out. It's not a very good film, so I don't know. I've, I've seen Black Dahlia, but I, honestly, I don't really even remember it. That's probably best. It's not. It's not very good. So <laughs> I've heard you guys say that, but it's like I don't remember hating it. But maybe I just kind of like glossed well, over it. That's and, the thing with his films. I mean, he's so talented that his movies are still good. Uh, I mean, you could argue that they're still good. I mean, like Snake Eyes with Nicolas Cage, a lot of people shit on, but I actually thought it was a pretty okay movie. But it, it it's it's the promise. I think it's that whole thing with like it's like the Dario Argento thing. It's like the promise of what you thought was going to happen. Right. It didn't quite didn't quite work out for him. Although I do like him more than I do Argento. But anyway, I'll get talking about the movie here. Uh, Margot Kidder is the star of this film, uh, or one of the stars of this film. Uh, of course, you know I, we got we got a real Superman connection this week. I just noticed that with Jimmy Olsen and uh, Lois Lane from the original oh, Superman. Yeah. <laughs> very There's weird. always some connection. It seems. <laughs> yeah. Very weird. Uh, Margot Kidder. Uh, now, let me ask you. I have to. I put a question mark behind Margot Kidder because I have to ask you this question. Do you think Margot Kidder was, was, or is, or has ever been attractive? I think cigarettes messed her up or something <laughs> by the time she hit Superman. But <laughs> yeah. there's it, this is a, a twofold answer. Yes, she was attractive, <laughs> but at times she really reminds me of my mom. So I'm kind of <laughs> torn on the answer. <laughs> Wow, maybe maybe you shouldn't answer that while we're recording. So. <laughs> well, like when I see when I when I would see her in the film at times, it looked like old photos that I've seen of my mom. Yeah, I've always I've always thought she's semi attractive in a weird way. Uh, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the Lois Lane thing. Uh, you know, she's right. the damsel in distress thing. She wasn't that. Uh, she she she's very young in this film, and she actually you know she got better looking as she got older. Uh, but of course, you know she's she's a she's a weird person. She's uh, gone off the deep end quite a few times behind the scenes. Uh, oh yeah, kind of like a female Gary Busey, really. Uh oh. So, yeah, she's kind of <laughs> she's kind of butthorned her career a little bit too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so to work that back in, I think my son even said something about that. Butthorn. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, she no, she's she's and she's okay in this movie. Although I, I, the French accent after a while always gets on my nerves. Uh, yeah. I don't know why. I mean, but she has a French accent, but unlike some people from France who come to America, obviously she knows how to speak English perfectly because she speaks it pretty well. Uh, she says all the little words and stuff. Like somebody from another country would, would miss out on the, all the little in-betweens. Mm-hmm. She doesn't miss out on any of the in-between words. So I found that <laughs> kind of interesting. Um, now, William Finley's in this film playing uh, Emil Breton, the, uh, the doctor. Now, the, you said that they cast uh, a bug-eyed actor in Phantom of the Paradise. I saw you said that. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I had to, I had to think. But as I watch more De Palma and look, especially look at his filmography, I realized that he must have really liked William Finley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he really did. And it's like I, when I was watching Phantom of the Paradise, I did not even recognize. He looked completely different in, in that and this movie. Yeah. He's a, um, he's, he's a character actor, so he really changes his look all the time. He's got one of those weird faces that somehow he... 
uh, wow, that IMDb page, he really got really to change that photo if that's his photo, because uh, that's not flattering <laughs> at all. <laughs> but he, yeah, the, he still pops up, so he was actually in The Black Dahlia, so weirdly. Yeah, I, I, I like him a lot. It, he was, um, you see him very early in this film, and um, Jane was watching the you know the first part of this with me, and both of us pointed him out. I was like, "Oh God, look at that creep!" Like reading the book in the audience, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was a, he's a very unique looking individual, and of course, you know, I guess Phantom of the Paradise was De Palma's uh, you know way of paying him. But really, that's his movie. That's William Finley's movie. I mean, he you know he he really is the star of that movie, and it's it's really even though Paul Williams is in it pretty prominently, and and. Uh, Jessica Harper, I believe is her name. She's in it pretty prominently and stuff. I think it's really William Finley's movie. And he's, you know, I think I like when directors every now and then just give a character actor, similar to what Rodriguez did with Machete, just give a character actor, you know, his own movie, basically. Right. Uh, it's kind of great to see him pay these character actors off sometimes. And Finley's definitely a character actor. He's got a unique look and a unique face and uh, just a weird dude. Always always wearing the damn, those glasses drive me crazy. <laughs> yeah. He's already bug-eyed, and then you get these glasses that kind of accentuate that, you know? <laughs> uh, I like how the film opens with a nice touch of, uh, you know, a little game show action. It's weird, because, like, Peeping Tom would totally probably go over in today's society as a game show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I liked that game show. That was cool. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> that guy, the guy that in the game show looked a lot like Mr. T, or at least he, he kept making me think of him from, uh, not, not the Mr. T, but from Trouble Man. Oh yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Okay, I, yeah, I can see that now. I had to look it up. I was like, "Is that him?" Yeah. That's that's the weird thing about the film is it kind of kicks off right there. I mean, it kind of gets going. You know, you got these two contestants on a show, you think, and the next thing you know, they're you know they're hooking up, and it just kind of goes from there. And it just it, some of the Palmas, you know, it's low budget stuff in the beginning, so some of this stuff just seems seems to flow from one thing right into the other, and. Yeah, uh, the voyeurism's there because De Palma's a fascinated with voyeurism. I don't know if I've, I, you've ever heard me say that or not, but I've said I've said on the show that he loves uh, kind of like the Hitchcock thing of looking through windows and shooting through windows and you know totally. seeing seeing people in their everyday lives or seeing people do something awful. And this one, you got that great scene uh, where he opens up. I think this might be his first time experimenting with a split screen. I'm not sure. Uh, I'd have to really, I'd hate to say that on the air and then be told it's not, but, uh, it is some of his earliest split screen stuff. And there's only a few directors ever who worked a split screen. Okay. And De Palma's one of the few. Yeah. The all three, all three films I watched last night had split screen Yeah, the, with this, uh, Phantom of the Paradise and, um, born to, or sorry, dressed to kill. Yeah. He, he really, by the time he got to dress to kill and stuff, and even in blowout, you'll see, if you see blowout, you'll see the same thing. He really started to perfect it, and but this one it's pretty good. It's pretty good in this one too. I mean, I like how they. I don't know if he just liked the the way it worked, or you know, I often wonder if that was an editing nightmare because I don't see him having video assist back in the early seventies. So oh, I have to. Yeah, think I can imagine, like especially trying, like making sure you don't catch the other camera in the. Yeah. In, yeah. The, in the previous shot, I, I thought. I, I think you may have seen it once in. Phantom of the Paradise, but like eventually I was looking. I was like, okay, I'm going to find this camera because it had to have passed at some point. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's pretty great because it kind of adds to that voyeurism feel. It almost feels like you're in on it. You know I mean? You're almost in on, you're, you know how the other character sees things, and you know you just feel like you're all in on, on, on everything that's going on. So it adds a nice quality to it, but it's really a convention of the 70s cinema because you really, I've only seen a few directors work it now. And the best example I can think of is uh, Roger Avery and the Rules of Attraction. He used it pretty well. Uh, at one point, that two- was um, that was one with Aaron Eckhart. Uh, I don't know if he's in that or not. 
Was it, Rule, was, was it Rules of Attraction or what, what was the, what was that game? It was that I can't remember what movie it was. I think it was called Rules of Attraction. God, I'm racking my brain right now. The Rules of Attraction. Oh, that has Vanderbeek in it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a. I'm making sure that title okay. was right because the other one did sound like an Eckhart movie. That, the the Aaron Eckhart one is uh the whole thing is split screen. Ah, it's yes. Called, it's called and it has Helena Bottom Carter in it. I'm trying to find the name of that one. Um. Love happens, maybe. Uh, maybe I don't think I've ever seen that. Actually. No, no, no! Yikes! That's something with <laughs> that's something with uh, Jennifer Aniston. That has to be good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, another 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 tie. Black Black Dahlia. Oh, yeah. Eckhart was in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll let you look through that. I'll keep going. Okay, sorry. The, sorry. Uh, no, it's okay. Uh, the first uh, kind of scare scene in this movie is is classic De Palma, right at the camera. Uh, comes right at your face, you know, uh, no 3D or anything, just kind of comes right at you. And, awesome. Yeah, and it's it's pretty much, that's 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 Patton and him, I mean, just kind of, I mean, you know it's going to happen. I mean, it's, it's not like yeah. it's it's anything that's going to stun you or anything else, but <laughs> then the music gets fucking nuts. The music gets really wild. I love the music in this film. It just gets got the swirling kind of craziness going. Yes, the, I really liked the, the crazy acting. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah, yeah. She does the whole uh, shaking the face thing. That was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the uh, music's about Bernard Herrmann. Of course, we know who that is. I mean, he's a pretty famous uh, film composer. Uh, but this has got that kind of great swirling and all this kind of crazy music. She's shaking her face like a rabid dog. It's it's pretty. You would think it. It sounds ridiculous, but you would think it wouldn't be effective. But it actually works quite well. You know, it's really weird how it works, and it's a gruesome scene. Uh, stabs, it is stabs him right on the inside of his thigh, which oh, oh. Just, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of dick torture <laughs> in this one. Yeah, poor poor guys getting yeah a lot of a lot of pelvic uh, pelvic violence, <laughs> reverse pelvic thrusting. <laughs> yes, yes. Usually when the pelvis is involved, there's some thrusting, but this is kind of a different thing. <laughs> the man's getting thrusted in this one, so very odd, but. Uh, a nice, a nice uh, past or tempera paint blood. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's got the. Uh, <laughs> looks like the blood came from either England or, or uh, Italy. It's not the. Uh, <laughs> it's not the typical blood you see in films, where it's kind of a dark, kind of a black cherry color. It's more of a. <laughs> Jane Jane exclaimed at one point. She goes, "Look at his shoe." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, again, it's a, both these movies. Oddly enough, we had two movies again with another tied each other. There's a lot. There's a lot of leg and below the waist violence in these films. Yeah. <laughs> very weird man very weird um let's see here let me go thing uh Palma also uses the color red not just the blood but he uses the color red really well hey that, that apartment hallway with the red yes I, I i noticed that especially there's a when the 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 split screen and the inside of the apartment is stark white yeah and so yeah. there's a very nice contrast mm-hmm. um when he when there an escape is being made, I guess yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of how to put that, but yeah, yeah no, and I, he, deep red. So. Yeah, he uses that red really well. Him and Argento both were very similar in a lot of ways in the '70s and the way they used red and stuff. And uh, it's just really, it's really a color that most like filmmakers avoid nowadays. Uh, you know, that bright kind of really, kind of really striking red. So mm-hmm. I remember Kubrick using it really well in the the bathroom scene in The Shining too. So red oh, yeah. red can be a really kind of a rough color if you don't know how to use it right. Um, I don't want to talk about that really. It might give away too much. I did like the black and white kind of revelation scene. I like yeah. that shot. I like when they shoot these old videos and these old movies. You know, and they do the nowadays. Like when people characters go back and watch a video, 
it stuff looks like video. But back then, you know, of course, obviously they shot stuff on film, not on video, and so everything looks like a production instead of <laughs> instead of an yeah, actual you get video. Like the silent movie treatment almost. <laughs> yeah, everything seems kind of weird. Like <laughs> I had to hire a cinematographer and everything. Um, it seems like all of, and I'll talk about this. I talk about this quite often on the show that all of De Palma's early work kind of. It it all kind of builds to where he would eventually get to with Dress to Kill and Blowout. Those are probably two my two favorite uh, De Palma films. Those two films and Carrie, Carrie, uh, really his masterpieces. I think are Carrie. Uh, well, I love Phantom of the Paradise, but I love it for different reasons. But uh, I've been I've been saying all morning that Scarface was the earliest, and Carrie is obviously the earliest one that I'd seen. Yeah, sorry, I, I've seen <laughs> Carrie more than once. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Carrie, uh, Carrie. Uh, Oh, fuck, what am I trying to say here? Carrie, Dress to Kill, and Blowout. That's like the, the, the De Palma trilogy to me. So, uh, you know, if anybody really wants to get into De Palma, there's some really great stuff. But there's some fun stuff, too, and like The Fury. The Fury's got some great stuff in it, and uh, there's some other really good stuff. I mean, I could talk about De Palma all day, but I don't want to spend all morning talking about him. But uh, I do like that he gets into the grotesque here. I won't give away anything because I'm afraid it's a plot point, but, I mean, he talks about, you know, some stuff here that, like, you know, Cronenberg would be interested in and, and some yeah. things like that. Uh and there's that great that one great scene where she's having flashbacks and stuff that just gets goes into another world. It's almost Fellini esque in some way. He gets into this really weird world of kind of surreal imagery and people with issues. Let's just say that. Right, right. <laughs> it just gets really odd all of a sudden. Uh, but that's all my notes on sisters. We'll see what you got to say. Okay. Uh, well, like we were talking about, uh, my notes are kind of sparse because I was watching this and. Maybe it was because I was enjoying it, but every, you know, twenty minutes would pass. I'm like, shit, I didn't write down a note. So uh, <laughs> it was a little top heavy, I guess. I, I was writing down at the beginning, but um, there's a early. Um, well, I guess I should preface this with you know talking a little more about De Palma in general. Like I, until last night, I had not seen his '70s stuff, and when watching up through 1980 or so, you can really see a lot of themes and stuff and it was cool that I watched this first because then watching some of the stuff that was worked out a little better later on you know I was able to go back and think about this one again and say okay that well that worked that didn't yeah um but there's a there's a really cool and you see this kind of thing later on in his other movies but uh, it's a fantastic disorienting shot with um shadows on a closing door oh yeah and it happens yeah. pretty early on and and it takes a second to even realize what is happening, but the door is closing, and there's two shadows cast on it, and it really almost feels like the whole screen is rotating. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And um, he does. He and he, I've noticed this a lot that he likes to play with perspective like that and angles, and, and you know, in mirrors too. You see a lot of mirrors in his films, but it's it kind of I don't know. It portrays con- not only confusion in the character itself. You know, it's often them looking in the mirror realizing something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it kind of confuses the viewer a little as well like keeping us on our toes maybe uh-huh, like uh-huh. invested in the character being confused along with them in, in a way um, but yeah I, I did take a note on the split screen I really liked how it was done and the movie I was trying to think of sorry was um, Conversations with Other Women ah uh, yes yes there you I, go. Th- that was a cool one that, that, that split screen's a little different because it's you know mostly the same thing happening on both sides of the screen just obviously filmed at two different times but with this, it was cool with, you know, the uh, logistics of trying to get it all work together was kind of making my head hurt, but that's why I'm not a director. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I thought it was a cool way to um, to show, like, it, it, it did a good job building tension because you see somebody approaching somewhere while something else is going on, and 
normally in a film you would have to flip back and forth rapid fire, but I think this is a cool way to approach it where, you know, it cuts down on the length of the film, certainly, and it kind of like uh, gives a more stylized but more cut and dry explanation of what what tension is building. Um, there's a cool scene, like back to the mirrors with Kidder looking into the bathroom mirror and her face is kind of, she's looking at the between two mirrors, I guess. it's They're right beside each other and her face is kind of crooked in the middle. And I thought that was a neat scene and kind of telling. And um, the the but the movie felt pretty European, well, a lot of the ways. I guess the blood yeah, yeah. maybe made me think of that first. But the, um, but just the way you know, some of the angles, some of the filming, and um, maybe the color of it. Maybe it was just because it was seventies. I had that that European feel. But uh, uh, I really, <laughs> I really like Grace Collier's uh, newspaper, the, the Staten Island Panorama. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's yeah. like wow, what is a terrible name for a newspaper? But then she actually makes fun of it, so I feel yeah. I felt a little better. I was like, I was afraid at first that was supposed to be a real, uh, or like a serious newspaper. But. Yeah, the actress that was in, that played that part, Jennifer Salt. They always some people always said she should have gone on to bigger things because she was like one of those '70s actresses that it seemed like she was in some important films in the beginning, but then she just kind of disappeared. But she did like Brewster McCloud with Robert Altman and. And uh, she was in Midnight Cowboy, I believe, and some other stuff. Yeah. But then she just kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. Hmm. She said she was in Nip Tuck, and I'm curious. I'm, I feel like I... Oh, okay. She's had, I think... Yeah, maybe not. I was like, maybe she's had some work done. I don't know. But I feel like yeah, I remember her from Nip Tuck. I watched that for a little while. Yeah, I know her hair in this movie looked like it's something from Nip Tuck. Yeah, we'll talk wow, about that. Wow, <laughs> that mullet was... Yeah, it was impressive. the ages. <laughs> and and Jane, Jane commented on her... Uh, her five o'clock mustache shadow. So yeah, and what's, what's that scene where she's running in her nightgown? That nightgown leaves little to the imagination. <laughs> oh, there's some there's some good there's some good uh, leaving little to the imagination with Kidder also. There's oh, yes. some good uh, nice for fans of uh, of fuller women. This is this is it for you. I mean, yeah. Kidder's skinny, but yep, she's got some. She's got the goods. So. Yep. Yep. Um. I, th- I was as the movie was going on, I, I, I kind of felt like some of the expository moments were a little, a little forced and like kind of like to the camera, like they kind of went on a little long. And I'm having trouble thinking of a, a specific example, but there's just a few times where the story needed to move, and to do so, they had somebody explaining something for a long time. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they. I mean, it's obvious it's a early film for you know, right, and, right. He, and he wrote uh, some of it too. I think he wrote it with somebody, but uh, you can tell that you know at some point they feel like you know we've got this all set up now we got to explain it. <laughs> it is. I, I really like the, the scene. Look, I guess the black and white scene was kind of like that. Like it for you know, there goes the microphone. A, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Um, and, you know, I like the black and white scene. It was cool, like working it into this whole like kind of like weird trancy hypnosis kind of thing. Um, but then it kind of like, you know, eventually you're like, okay, this has been going on for a good five minutes. I get it already kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, like I was saying earlier, the, with the William Finley thing, I, I didn't even know who he was at first Yeah, and seeing him right at the beginning of the film, it's obvious that he's going to have something to do. Yeah. Just, he looks so much different. This is during the game show. And he's sitting in the audience reading a book when everybody's applauding. You're like, okay, that guy's going to be up to something. Yeah. And he already he's he looks strange. I think I wrote down uh, he looks like a child molester, John Waters. 
Yeah, he's he's a. I mean, yeah, he's just a weird looking dude. I mean, he's he's that kind of guy that you see him and you're like, I don't want to go anywhere near that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't know. I, I I I really liked I really liked what he did. Um, he was fabulously quirky, I guess. But yeah, that's was, that uh, scene where he fun. slips and falls, man. It looks like he really took a hard spill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that happened in something else too. I know that somebody else slips and falls in that movie, but I feel like it happened again in another one I watched last night. Like a slipping and falling. That's like maybe De Palma likes that too. Like that is a plot device. Yeah, well, it might be. Actually, it seems like there might be a slip and a fall in Dress to Kill. Maybe like, I, I'm trying to th- rack my brain to remember movie scenes in it, but there might be. I can't remember. Um, everything kind of got pushed together last night, but the um, with. The the end of the movie. I'm not going to spoil anything, but I wasn't sure how to feel about the ending. Like I, I get what he was doing, but I don't yeah. understand the point of it. Yeah, I don't understand the ending either. I mean, it's uh, De Palma's. Uh, he's kind of known as as not the. Well, I don't know if he's known, but I've always kind of thought he has trouble ending his movies. Uh, sometimes okay. uh, this one, you know, I kind of felt like you know he didn't really know where to go, and so he. He just kind of, you know, he's kind of left it like it was, and let everybody just kind of go with it. So, yeah, I remember looking I mean, at, I remember looking at the time frame on the on the Netflix Instant Watch while I was watching, and I was like, okay, I got five minutes left, and I felt like there, <laughs> I felt like there was so much more that you know, because I hadn't seen this in forever. I haven't seen this since like back in the videotape days. Okay, and uh, I felt like, oh man, there's so much more they still got to talk about, and there's like five minutes left. I'm like, man, they're gonna have to really cram some shit in here really quick. <laughs> And, right. they, and they try to. They try to cram some scenes in. You know, there's another scene with Collier and, and, and at her mom's house. And I guess she's in her teenage room she grew up in because she's got all kinds of, uh, you know, heartthrob pictures on the walls. And Yeah, I saw some Beatles, but I was I was really wondering who the one right next to her was. It looked familiar. But. I don't know. Kind of weird, but, uh, you know, and that detective's interviewing her and stuff. And then, like, well, there's only two minutes left now. What's going on? And and then I, then all of a sudden the ending pops up. And I'm like, oh yeah, I was like, I remember the ending to this now because I, I totally forgotten about the ending. I totally forgotten how it ended because it, it ends. It's it's abrupt and at the same time, uh, I guess it helps you. I guess you can take it how you want to take it. I guess it's kind right. of a, it's, it's kind of like a Hitchcock ending almost. Yeah. Like it's like you know, I was I was really afraid it was going to say the end with, and then the question mark was going to appear. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I yeah. don't know why, but yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's what you yeah, feel like. That's what you feel like. It. it that's what it, it, it still gives you that feeling when you walk away from the movie. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't need to. That was the point. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, but that's all I have. I don't want to keep harping on. So all right, I'll go over uh, MVT's make or breaks. Uh, my MVT or my make or break, I should say, for that is that uh, that first scare scene. Uh, that's pretty intense. There's some good scenes in here all throughout, but that first one is really, really, really great. Uh, the old school horror type stuff. I just love it. Especially with the uh, a knife to the cheek, not the not, yeah, not the ass cheek either. The uh, this one goes right in the cheek, man. Fucking brutal. Uh, which I loved. I love how it's all set up and stuff by the fact that she won uh, cutlery on the game show. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, man. I thought it was great. Uh, I was like, you know, I'm sitting there watching, and I'm like, yes, you know, as as a movie fan, as I've gotten older. I love that he's how he sets stuff up, but as, as a younger person, I remember thinking, "Oh, that was that was really neat how he set that up." But now, as an older person who's seen a lot of movies, I think, like, "Yeah, he, he had to set up from the get go." So it was pretty cool. Uh, my MVT is going to be De Palma. Uh, I don't know really who else I could go with in this, but Margot Kidder's accent got on my nerves. Although I did like her in the movie, yeah, and Jennifer Salt's pretty good too in the movie. Charles Durning's fun in a sleazy role, as he and and, and De Palma loves the sleazy private eyes. 
He loves these oh, yeah. kind of sleazy characters, the background characters. He loves that for some reason. I really liked, uh, which he wasn't a private detective, but Dennis Franz in Dress to Kill. Oh, yeah. Such a, such a slime, but he was awesome. Oh, you'll like him in uh, Blowout, too. If you see Blowout, okay. Dennis Franz is in that, too. And he plays, I think he plays a private eye in that, and he's a fucking scumbag. <laughs> but, he's, <laughs> but he's great, and, too. Uh, and, yes, Kidder was really good. I, I liked her a lot with uh, acting nuts. I, like, Yeah, the French accent got a little old. but Yeah, that was the problem. And I, and I had fun with William Finley, too, but I just felt like he was kind of, in a weird way, he was kind of dialed back, even though he was kind of over the top in some ways, too. And he takes a, he takes some pelvic pain, big time. <laughs> uh, this awful stuff. Uh, but that first scare scene, we might make a break. My score for the film, I give this a 7.25. It's not a great De Palma, but it's a good, very good De Palma. And it's only about an hour and a half long, so it's a lot of fun. Netflix has to watch. Yeah, I don't think yep. you can go wrong. I think it's pretty entertaining for that. Yep. Um, well, my MVT is actually William Finley. Um, nice, I liked nice. him enough. I, I thought it set a cool, like, um, I don't know. It made the movie creepier than it would have been otherwise. Um, and I know that they focused on him intentionally. I mean, he has his hair, you know, ridiculously slicked back and <laughs> yeah. his glasses making his eyes bug out. And I, I, I liked the... I liked what his character was, and I liked the little just the the flourishes that he brought to it. And seeing seeing his work later on, well, just a little bit later on, kind of when I went back and watched, and then thinking about this, I was like, okay, yeah, he was pretty cool. So um, my make or break is also the um, that that early scene, the um, the attack. Uh, it was powerful. Um, Kind of, it, it was, you know, it's like even though you you kind of see it coming, it's still kind of shocking. It's it, um, it keeps going, and yeah, it was yeah. enough. To, it was enough to, you know, make me invested in the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, my my score originally said a seven point seven five, but after seeing Dress to Kill, I couldn't help but compare De Palma's work, so I moved it down to also a seven point two five out of ten. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's 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 good. It's it's not fantastic. You will find some better better work soon to come in his career. But um, yeah, especially if it's instant, you can't go wrong with this one. Yeah. Seven point two five out of ten. So, all right. So that is our review of Sisters. We're going to take a break and come back with a little bit of listener feedback. We'll be back right after this. This is a great on film from the Girls on Film Radio. Are you tired of all those vegetarian or vegan podcasts? We just listened to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema had to say about the girls on film radio. A lot of good meat in there. There's a lot of good meat in there uh, that the girls talk about. You guys got a lot of nice meat over there at the podcast. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. So there you have it. The meaty film discussion by meaty women. Listen to Girls on Film Radio. Girlsonfilm.podomatic.com back uh jamming some uh, that's the, the tubes there the tubes from uh the 80s that was uh from the heavenly body soundtrack uh, rupert got nice. that to me 
Everybody I really got- like that girls on film trailer or uh, commercial too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love cricket humor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. She really, a long time ago, I've said this before on the show, she asked me if she could use it. And then uh, I didn't expect that because I didn't remember saying that stuff. We were joking around, obviously. He's kind of ribbing them a little bit. And then she used it. And I was like, oh, that's pretty classic. I didn't even think to use it that way. <laughs> She's much more creative there's a, than me. <laughs> there, there's another one that I heard, and I've only heard it once. I think it was for OTC, and it sounded like the hit in a bubble bath. <laughs> Yeah. Have you heard this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on uh, Show Show Plays It. I have it, but uh, I've never played it. <laughs> I oh my god, that the this girls on film one and that one make me laugh every time. Well, I've only heard the I've only heard the hit one once, but I died laughing. But yeah, yeah. Uh, bro, Miles plays that one every now and then. So <laughs> I don't think I don't know if Bill's a fan of it or not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, all right. So we got some email and we got some voicemail. We don't have much voicemail, but we got a little bit of email here. So let me get going on it here uh first one's from toby and birmingham so i'm guessing that's england uh he writes badass butthorns oh okay so i'm a second maybe third email to you guys i really don't remember here's a few disconnected comments on recent shows and other random crap in the man with no name show you use the phrases badassery and big dickery i challenge you to shoehorn or butthorn them both into every single review you do from now on um <laughs> uh, Secondly, I sometimes wonder when listening to podcasts what the podcasters look like. I'm sure I can find out soon enough what you guys look like if I joined a Facebook page, but that's unlikely. I usually take a look at my Facebook every three or four months. So I get so at a guess I'm pretty sure that you look like the two attachments I've sent in the email. And what he's done is he's taken uh the saxophone player from the Lost Boys, uh two photos and labeled one <laughs> Big Willie and one the Samurai. So he's he's pretty close, actually. <laughs> Except I play clarinet. So <laughs> uh. no, no, yeah, you can see pictures of pictures of us are out there. You'll see more. Uh, we're gonna post more on the boards, especially the Whorehound Weekend thing. So, uh, a question I'm sure I've been asked before: uh, Why bringing Clash to the trash is 1977? Willie's born 79. Sammy's born before 77. Am I wrong? So why 77? Uh, okay, I'll answer that in a minute. And lastly, you got any samurai movies on your roadmap? I'd like to hear you talk about uh, Hiroshi Iganeg shit Hiroshi Inagaki Samurai Trilogy starring Toshiro Mifune as real life samurai turned legend Mushashi Miyamoto. Fuck me, he's killing me this morning. Miyamoto, because for me personally, they are all good, not great. A little flaw, but the scenes of what scenes of greatness. Maybe I'm being harsh. They're good movies, but when you say Mifune and Samurai, you're going to think of Kurosawa, and he made some of the best movies of all time, Samurai or otherwise. Now time for an abrupt sign off. Adios, Toby. All right, so um, uh, Burning Class of Trash is 1977. Really, we didn't come up with that. That kind of just kind of came. I think uh, Alyssa just kind of said it in a recording she sent. I think. I'm pretty positive I've said that before. And yeah, we did. We, you guys, you've, you've talked about that before. Yeah. She, she just said it. She thought it sounded cool, and yeah. you guys went with it. Mm-hmm. And we loved it, too. And, of course, it, it makes no logical sense, uh, but uh, it just sounds good. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those things. Um, not really a lot more to talk about in that one. The Samurai Trilogy, though, to have you know, Toby, is on our roadmap. Uh, it's actually a trilogy I kind of like, so it is on there. You can go back um, and listen to one of my recommendation episodes way back ah, when. Yes, it was, yes. um, oh, shit. What was the name? <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just brain farted. It was the Hanzo film, right? Wasn't that you? The Han- Hanzo, yes, the first Hanzo the Rager, and the, uh, it was a, a luchador movie, one of, an El Santo versus the Monsters movie. But, yeah, there's a samurai movie there is that the and i, th- I guess the um there was another there was a kurosawa one you covered too mm-hmm. um oh yeah we've, we've covered some samurai stuff we did throne of blood yeah. and we did uh throne of blood that's what that i was seemed like of. another one but now they actually you know what we might only done too because i think i always joke around that you know my 
nickname on this show is the Samurai, and I love Samurai movies, but we don't cover them very often. So, right, <laughs> this is the way it goes. Um, okay, I'll skip over these. Uh, okay, here's a here's a good size one here. All right, this one's from uh, I'm guessing he just go by Scott. All right, this isn't Scott from Toronto. He did say that. This is another Scott. Hey, Big Willie and the Samurai. I've started listening to your show when Rupert did that interview with the director of the Eurocrime documentary. Uh, that was us that did that interview. Scott, sorry. <laughs> I got linked to it through <laughs> twitch.com and have been listening uh, to the regular show ever since. It's slowly working my way through your backlog. It's a rainy day here in Brisbane. Brisbane? Brisbane? Brisbane. I guess that's Brisbane. Guess, yeah, I guess he's in Australia. So, uh, is that right? I hope I'm open right. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. So, I'm just filling in some time and thought I'd get a bunch of things off my chest. Firstly, love the show, but please don't eat caramels during the recording like you did in the episode I just finished listening to, 97 and 98. <laughs> that, that was Will. <laughs> Secondly, your intro and outro music. Could, could you quickly tell me a bit about them? They sound fantastic, and if they're off a soundtrack, I'd really like to know which they are. Or if someone wrote them for, well, uh, you know, I don't know, composer. I love strutting down the street to the outro track. The outro track is from a, I believe it's from a Thomas Millian film. It's done by the uh, DeAngelis brothers, but I can't remember the name of the track. Uh... I could probably shoot the track to you, Scott. I'll just reply to it in email and probably shoot the track to you if you really want that bad. And speaking of, though I've since found out, I was wondering who that sexy-sounding voice who was that welcomed me to each episode and gave me vital information at the end. I've since listened to the Big Red Podcast in hopes that I could hear the smooth, enticing voice every week. But as I really don't watch too much TV and Alyssa talks in a normal voice, I decided not to stick with it. (laughs) (laughs) There's only so many hours in a day, and I probably shouldn't list over a married woman anyway, even if it is only her voice. Uh... (laughs) Another question. I hope you're taking notes. I really enjoyed hearing Doc and KK in the earlier episodes. Are they the family behind the Family Movie Night podcast? I suppose I could just look that up myself, but I guess I'm being lazy. <laughs> like I said, there's a lot I want to get on my chest. I've been listening for a while, and only the birds to talk to on my daily walk. So, But I'll just leave with one more thing. I bought The Great Silence after listening to your podcast, and while I didn't love it as much as you guys, I think it'll grow on me more. But, but it raised the question of me of original recording and script. The DVD I bought had both the Italian and English audio tracks. I assume because it was an Italian film, the original script would be in Italian. So I watched it that way with the English subtitles. It became obvious that the actors were speaking English and were being dubbed in Italian. So I switched back to English audio, but then the subtitles didn't match the English script really. It seemed to me that the Italian translation was a bit different. I just stuck with the English because it synced better and it dumped the, and dumped the subtitle track. But I was wondering about these spaghetti westerns. What's the more original version of the script, the English, the Italian, or the English? Speaking of, I'm looking forward to listening to episode 100. Great movies, those three, and my favorite. Those three are my favorites, or some of my favorites, being whichever one I'm watching at the time. Oh, it depends on whichever one I'm watching at the time. But I guess if I was really pressed, I'd pick a few dollars more. Uh, for a few dollars more, you get it both Clint and Van Cleef with a simple storyline and a great soundtrack. What could be better? I guess it, one. I guess either one or the others, depending on mood and taste. Congratulations on making 100 or 102. Probably by the time you get to this, well done. Nice. He knew. He called it. Anyway, I better shut up. One of the things which I find so great about your show, as well as frustrating, is the feedback. I think it's great that you've decided to interact with your audience, but sometimes we could do, do do go on a bit. And I just want to get to the next podcast on my playlist. I guess that's why you encourage us to join you on the forums. That's uh, palaver.com. Uh, by the way, P-A-L-A-V-R.com. He asked what the address was. But uh, maybe when my, uh, he says PRAC, PRAC, P-R-A-C, is over, and I can think about something else besides schoolwork, okay, then I... Uh, might be over that way. Oh, okay. So then keep up the great work. So evidently he's a student. Yes. Okay. Nice. Uh, okay. All right. So let me try to address these questions here. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, Doc and KK. Yes, that is the Family Night Movie Night podcast. Um, I talked about the outro. The intro track is just a remix of Sergio Leone's The Ecstasy and the Gold. 
Uh, you can find it on iTunes. Uh, it's out there. I don't know what the name of it is. Uh, let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Let me see. It is called Le Exce dell'Ora. <laughs> uh, I guess it's the Italian. I guess yes, that's Italian for Ecstasy of Gold. Yeah, but it's a remix version, and it's on uh, an album called Ennio Morcone uh, Remixed, I believe. Oh, it's, cool. It's on, uh, it's on uh, iTunes, I believe, or any other place probably you can get MP3s. Um, also, he talked about the Great Silence. Okay, so here's what I do know uh, about Italian films in general, but Italian westerns in particular. A lot of times they didn't even have scripts. A lot of times they just kind of flew by night, and if they did have scripts, they just kind of winged it anyway. And because the actors were from from all other countries, uh, like good examples when we talked about the Dollar Trilogy, the first film it had German, Spanish, and Americans in it. Everybody just spoke in their own language, and they just went back and dubbed stuff later. Uh, what this did was, first of all, it was cheaper, and second of all, it, it it allowed them to when they were doing the kind of audio recording later to change things. So if like they didn't like what a character said on set, they could just make him laugh. <laughs> Or, uh, you know, anything else. That's why in a lot of those spaghetti westerns and a lot of Italian films in general that were released in America, you get a lot of that goofy laughter of, ha, 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 ha. And you, you can see they're, you can see they're <laughs> talking, but they're, you're trying to pass it off as like a joke was told or something. <laughs> There's a, I, it, it's been a while since I've seen it. I, one of the Dollars movies, I, I remember it clearly. This is when I first realized that it was probably, you know, it was definitely dubbed. Was um, I think there was some kind of like gold miner, miser kind of guy or... He's this old dude with a beard and a dirty hat, but he um, obviously speaking Italian. <laughs> yeah. And but it was English coming out of his mouth. I mean, like, you know, it didn't match up at all. You know, and I think what it is just depending on the country that it is. I think there's not one true soundtrack for any of the films because all of it was dubbed. I mean, you know, obviously, I guess Clint Eastwood dubbed his own stuff, but yeah, yeah. And even then, though, if you look, he doesn't say exactly the same stuff he said right. when he was recording the movie because they just didn't do that. They just a lot of times they just did it on the cheap. They didn't have a boom operator there, a dialogue thing. They just kind of went with it, and then they recorded later. And uh, that's why you get that kind of weird kind of thing. So if I was, if if it was me when you're watching Spaghetti Western, you're just to me, you're just as good sticking with the English soundtrack. And not even worrying about the subtitles or doing it in the Italian, unless it's a full-blooded Italian Western, which there are a few of those out there. So, the the Frank, uh, Franco Nero, a lot of the time, if he wasn't if he wasn't acting in English, his his Westerns seem to be completely in Italian, a lot of the time. A lot of the ones I've seen it seem like. Yeah, they might they might be actually they might be. All right, so we only got a few voicemails. Hopefully, uh, little manos won't cry while we're doing this. He's getting a little cranky over here. So, <laughs> here we go. Let's get him going. So as I can get one queued up here. And there we go. Hey, gents. Rupert. Um, I totally spaced this morning. I wanted to mention a new podcast I've been listening to um, on the show. And due to the fact that I got up a little bit early, I totally spaced out. <laughs> a little but, uh, early. The show is called uh, The Lost Picture Show. And it was I was turned on to it by one of our listeners, uh, Keyboard Monkey. And uh, it's pretty good stuff uh, from over across the pond. Um, they cover a lot of obscure stuff. I think, you know, uh, hardcore GGTMC listeners would definitely appreciate Zom. You should check it out. Lots of interesting films covered. Stuff I either have never seen or haven't thought of in many years. Um, so, um, yeah, just thought uh, you guys might want to check it out yourself also. But uh, highly recommended. Um, that's it. I got cut off there towards the back end. Yeah, that was uh he he sent that in right after he uh 
right, right after he uh, got done recording with us uh, last week. So mm. I like how he said that uh, you know he forgot space because he had to get up so early. And like, and so people who don't know, we got up at six thirty that morning in Eastern time. <laughs> so Rupert has to get up at three thirty in the morning. Jesus, <laughs> to record with us, and he does it. He does it. He, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, I laugh because I'm just like I don't know if I could do that, but you know, no. he, he loves doing the show, so and we really appreciate him going out of his way to do that because that is rough. <laughs> oh man, but uh, yeah, yeah, that podcast is pretty good. Uh, I've listened to an episode since. Uh, it's it's a pretty good show. They do cover kind of obscure little films, like they cover. I listened to an episode where they covered Hitchcock's Murder, which is murder with an exclamation mark, one of his very <laughs> early films and stuff. So they cover a lot of early stuff. Uh, pretty good stuff. It's not bad. Check it out. Um, we got a shout out on one of the episodes how Rupert turned me on to it. He told me that he wrote in or sent a voicemail or something. I can't remember what it was. All right, we got a couple of Doc Zom ones coming. So here we nice. go. Gentlemen, <laughs> this is Dr. Zom, man on the trail, man in the wilderness. Chief and I are exploring the forests of. West Virginia again. Did you guys play this one last week? In an attempt. No, this is another one. To seek out strange new worlds, new lives, new civilizations. (laughs) To boldly go where no Zom has gone before. (laughs) We're at a mile now, and the dew is glistening off the bush. (laughs) I haven't seen dew on a bush like this. Since Barbara Dare, 1988. Jesus. But I digress. (laughs) Dr. Zom, man of nature, uh, has been falling down on the job as far as movie watching goes lately. Been busy, been uh, emotionally torn, distraught, and also uh, just doing stuff But, much like my cohort, the Kentucky Wild Man, (laughs) the Samurai, I have been watching television. Of course, Dr. Zom is not watching anything new. He is exploring and traversing the episodes of Law and Order. Chung Chung! And, um, so, the episodes that I'm watching right now involve Paul Sorvino as one of the detectives along with Chris Knopf, and I am a big, big fan of Paul Sorvino, and he is a big man. (laughs) Uh, so, anyway, uh, I like Chris Knopf, like him in some movies, we're gonna, we're gonna continue with movie talk here. Yeah, okay. Uh, I liked him. <laughs> and, of course, Law and & Order. And uh, I have to admit that when I was dating my ex-slut girlfriend, wow. <laughs> uh, I liked him in Sex in the City. Wow. <laughs> the uh, show eventually, of course, jumped the shark big time. And she jumped on someone else's cock. <laughs> so, anyway. Again, nice. I nice. digress. But the man in the wilderness theme is something that uh, I'd like to discuss right now as I quickly wind down on my minutes. Uh, Richard Harris, when he got lost in the woods, 
John Houston had him out there dressed in a some kind of funky dress trying to survive. <laughs> Robert Redford and Jeremiah Johnson. Yes. Charlton Heston <laughs> in the Mountain Man. Hey man, there's all kind of movies about uh, men in the wilderness. So uh, I was wondering if any of you gentlemen, and that includes the ladies and gentlemen of the GGTMC, <laughs> do you have any man against nature or men in the wilderness movies that you like? And as a bonus question, what mainstream movies, and I'm not talking about comedies here, did you ever see a major star in a movie take a shit? All right. This is Dr. Zom out here in nature. Jesus. Mm, I just heard a rooster crow up on the hill. And it's time to get off here and uh, take a piss on a bush. Zom. First of all, those questions are tough. Uh, Wilderness movies. Uh, um, well, I know, I've seen one within a couple months, um, and it was also remade, but Long Weekend, and I, know, I think OTC might have even covered it. I know they've talked about it more than once, but yeah. um, Australia, this Australian movie and where nature just kind of it's, – it's, the, the way I saw it at first, it seemed like it was going to be a cheesy like horror movie like Birds Attacking and stuff like that, but it's a lot more subtle than that, and mm-hmm. it, it was pretty cool. Yeah. There's a bunch of them. Uh, <clears throat> I wish I could ring them off the top of my head. I can't, but the, a few of them I know we're going to cover on the show. So I don't want to. I kind of don't want to show my hand. So uh, Zom's is going to have to wait it out because <laughs> I, I do like that genre quite a bit. The uh, man against nature genre. I do kind of like that. Not not so much the animals attack type thing, but uh, just kind of men in the jungle or men in the woods, uh, and you know, kind of getting back to their kind of basis needs of. Uh, uh, you know, violence and things like that. You, you'll hear Zom. There's, there's plenty coming. Trust me, buddy. Uh, also, did he say <laughs> a film with a major actor who takes a shit? Is that what he said? Yes. Um, do you know? Do you know of any? <laughs> um, let's see. Let's see. There's the one. There's Kingpin. Oh yes. When yes. Randy Randy Quaid's sitting on the urinal, I laugh at that every time. I think it's mostly comedies that that's going to happen in. Yeah. Uh, My favorite gross out moment from Kingpin. There's two. One with the uh, the bull scene where he's drinking the milk, and he's like, "Well, we don't have a cow. We have a bull." Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's like, "Took a milk the cow this morning." And he's drinking it out of the pail, and <laughs> and he's got the mustache. <laughs> yeah, pretty great. And then uh, the other scene that really just fucking just appalls me is when Randy Quaid flosses for the first time, and there's big chunks of meat hitting the mirror. Oh, it just disgusts me. Uh, I love that movie. Um, let's see. Dumb and Dumber. Jeff Daniels takes a big messy diarrhea dump and <laughs> yeah, the, the Farley brothers are pretty good at the poop scenes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Friday. Oh yeah, yeah. There's that. <laughs> there's the, that classic scene where he's standing there having to like, smell his dad's shit. And he's like, I smelled your shit for 18 years. You can smell mine for five minutes. I thought of that one because I went and saw a comedian at a, at a recently, and um, there was a big poster of johnny witherspoon on the oh, nice. is that his name i think that so. a, that's yeah on the so. wall uh i can't really uh, think of any uh, it's one of those questions you asked me in the morning and i can't uh, of course you know as soon as we stop recording i'll think of like five of them but i can't think of any off the top of my head really or other than comedies i have to agree yeah that seems like the one thing that always you know pooping is funny for people for some reason 
<laughs> it's funny when I'm it's, it's from I'm, cra- I'm cracking up here talking, yeah. <laughs> talking about it. So. Well, it's it's really funny to watch other people suffer uh, the diarrhea and the crazy bowel problems and stuff. But of course, if you're suffering them, it's not funny at all. <laughs> no, it's it's like the total opposite of funny. <laughs> Like fucking miserable. Although my, if you've heard my my call in story to uh, yeah. to show show, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good one. <laughs> that was suffering at the time and kind of funny now. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're all funny in retrospect. Yeah. But uh, yeah, at the time they're not so funny. All right, Zom call back. Gentlemen, Doctor Zom. Uh, hate to call back twice, but one of the people that I wanted to mention as we walk through these wet ass leaves. Uh, from Law and Order Season 2 and Season 1 is Michael Moriarty who I found to be an exceptional actor thought he was very good in Bang the Drum Slowly with a young De Niro also in the Hanoi Hilton very good in the movie I saw eh not that long ago, I believe I caught it on uh, Netflix. I had to, not instant watch though, um, was uh, Hitler and Jesus, where he plays Hitler. And that's a play that he actually wrote himself. Uh, the one, of course, most people know the one bad thing about Michael Moriarty is that he. Uh, kind of got a little bit too uh, much on the sauce, and I'm not talking about steroids. (laughs) He likes to drinky-winky, and he expatriated himself to Canada. (laughs) So uh, Big Willie might run into him sometime. (laughs) But I just liked it. One thing I liked about him, other than the fact that I thought he was a very good actor, is that um, he didn't have... He kind of had an everyman look, a la Jimmy Stewart or... Not that he looked like Jimmy Stewart, but just that style of guy. And every man, guy next door, you could see him maybe playing Atticus uh, Finch or something like that. And he had that uh, Midwestern, uh, American Midwestern look and sound when he would say, you know, uh, I caught you, or you were caught red-handed with the weapon, sir. You know, and... Uh, just like the guy, I wish I hope he's gotten his act straightened up. Right after the last call, we uh, were scared shitless by a uh, deer jumping out onto the trail. <laughs> oh yeah, that'll do it. Pretty much wait until we got right on top of us, which would have been great podcasting. <laughs> but uh, what are you going to do? You can't recreate that kind of stuff. You can't do it. So right now, I am going to pull my pants down on the side of the trail and take a crap. Just like Jim Carrey. Are you all ready? One, two. And that's it. <laughs> so I'm thinking he might have done it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Michael Moriarty, he's a, he's, a, he's a weird actor. He's a good actor, but uh, he sometimes, I know, kind of goes his own way. I know I've heard that he's kind of difficult to work with because he he kind of likes to do his own thing. And so that's why certain directors like working with him because he'll do his own thing. But other directors are like, fuck that guy. He gets on my nerves. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I might have seen him in. Everybody's talking about this Hitler meets. It's called Hitler meets Christ, is what it's called. It's a play he wrote, and uh, he kind of shot the play. And hmm. I haven't. I actually, uh, some somebody sent me a copy of the disc actually, and I have it, but I haven't watched it. So I check it out at some point, I guess. See what it's all about. 
But uh, yeah, he's done some good stuff. He's been in some good stuff. Larry Cohen stuff is what I know him mostly from. I don't know about anything else. Uh, what else did he say? Oh, the deer. Yeah, well, well me and uh, Loaf can probably relate to that because we live in the South as well. The deer are prevalent. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the, not a deer, but yesterday I saw um, some brutal roadkill on my drive home. There was this poor raccoon, and it had been hitting, it had been hit so hard his leg had had fallen <laughs> had fallen off. Yeah, so yeah. We, we got a good cringe out of that one. But yeah, the the uh, you know, we'll get a lot of deer. My parents have a, a house near the mountains here in North Carolina, and it uh, you'll find like piles of deer shit all over the place. So they're they're there all the time. Yeah, you where I live. Uh well, not exactly where I live, but uh, like my my wife's family, they live down the road from us. Uh, you can literally sit on the back porch early in the morning, and you can literally just watch deer run around. <laughs> yeah, it's more like that at my parents. You'll see cranes and stuff like that. Here, I, I live on a busy street, so you don't yeah. see a lot of animal movement. But um, but I did, but yeah. I did have a close call like that one time. I remember one time I was at, I was living in this townhouse with this other guy, and we we were in a band together, and we we got this place so we could. You know, so we could get out. Of, it was early in my life. It was like my first place I moved out into when I moved out of my mom and dad's house. And and uh, I would set out back because I used to work nights. I'd set out back in the mornings and I would smoke cigars back in the day. So I wouldn't smoke them in the house. And and uh, I smoke them still every now and then, but I used to smoke them out every day. And uh, so I'm sitting out back. I'm having a beer. It's early in the morning and I'm smoking a cigar. And uh, I'm sitting there and literally a deer runs past me. Not less than i could have reached out and touched the deer so it was less than three feet from where i was sitting this huge deer runs past me man it, it just felt like a train had went by it scared me wow. so it scared me so badly and you know you forget how big those animals really are until they come past oh, yeah. you that close <laughs> and literally it scared the shit out of me i know i chewed right through the cigar <laughs> i had the cigar <laughs> cigar in my mouth and it scared me so bad i jumped i bit down on the cigar and just bit the whole end of it off <laughs> so <laughs> Good thing I wasn't uh, a gay prostitute uh, servicing somebody, I guess, uh, because that wouldn't have been good for that guy. <laughs> that would have been bad. <laughs> Taking the you tip know, going, right off. Going back to Moriarty, it looks like he played somebody named Harry Potter Sr. in Troll. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> yeah, he was in Troll. Uh, he's got a great scene in Troll, actually, uh, where he, where he kind of lip syncs to uh, Blue Cheer's uh, cover of uh, Summertime Blues. It's a great scene. You know, if you've never seen Troll, check it out. Maybe that's where they got the idea for the character. Yeah, the the book the books later on. Harry Potter is a cool name. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't know. I forgot his name was Harry Potter Senior though. <laughs> I didn't oh, that. and there's a there's a um, back to sisters really quick. There's an extra in that movie. I forgot to bring it up. Named CeeLo. Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> I thought that was a strange name. Like nice. seal, like the animal. Oh, CeeLo. <laughs> nice. Well, that's like the the editor on uh, Strange Behavior. His name was Petra. That was that was the only name. It was a one name editor. I was like, wow, what a pretentious editor that was. <laughs> All right, uh, next voicemail. Of course, I had to call to talk about Step Up 3D, but I also had to say congrats to Big Willie for adding yet another Willie, little Willie, to the world. Um, <laughs> Literally, yeah. For as far as dance movies go, Step Up 3D is um, it's an '80s dance movie. It is break in two, but with cell phones. That's just about it. If um, you need further proof, you could either see the movie or listen to the Glee cast bonus episode in which we spent like two hours mostly talking about Zippo 3D, but the other ones too. <laughs> 3 is the only one really worth seeing, although 2 is okay. Um, also, I know I believe you guys are talking about Strange Behavior this week, which I have yet to actually watch, but I own it. Um, and I'm excited to hear you talk a little bit about Bill Condon, who I think 
I realized after watching Gods and Monsters, we didn't talk about him much last week for the first time. I feel like he's kind of this, uh, like he would be my soulmate. <laughs> he seems to like musicals and horror. And uh, his early stuff, he did the Candyman sequel, which was actually quite good for what it is. And um, obviously, Gods and Monsters and a few other genre-ish things. And I feel like he's kind of a fanboy who's suddenly got wrapped up in being classy. And I would like to see him kind of return to his genre roots. But uh, yeah, just looking forward to hearing you talk about that. Uh, sorry about the Coruscant game. Welcome to the Bronx. Bye, guys. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the Bronx. Uh, we didn't talk a lot about Bill Condon. Uh, I'll say a few things about him. Yeah, he is. He does seem like a fanboy. But he did get caught up in some serious stuff. I mean, he did Dream Girls and and Kinsey and stuff like that. But uh, he Chicago did, screenplay. Yeah, he did kind of start out in uh, you know uh, genre stuff. But I think it's. Uh, I don't think that's a real rarity. I think obviously I've always read because I've been reading magazines forever. I've always read that uh, uh, in movies that maybe the easiest way to get into the movie business is go genre and then move your way into other stuff. Obviously. So, and really, yeah, you think about it, Dream it Girls. Certainly, it was early on. I mean, this would have, he would have been writing this when he was, what, 20, 25 years old, it looks like. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you think about it, though, in a lot of ways, Chicago and Dream Girls, those are very genre anyway. Oh, yeah. Kinsey's probably the most serious thing. I like Gods and Monsters a lot. I like that movie a lot. I thought that was good. Looks like he's, he's doing something, writing and directing. Richard Pryor, is it something I said? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Who's Chronicle of a Life. Oh, Marlon Wayans is going to be playing Richard Pryor. Yeah, which could be good and could be a disaster. <laughs> so we'll see. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. Wait, what, what other movie? Oh, she's talking about Strange Behavior. That's what she's talking about, my bad. <laughs> when, right. you, when you have a kid nearby, you have to constantly, I have to take, as Miles called him on the bonus episode, I have to take my cans off occasionally and, and uh, <laughs> check make sure that he's okay. So he's doing fine. All right, so that is all of our feedback. Now, Normally, I would go through all of our pleasantries and things like that, or Will would, actually, because he has this huge list of pleasantries to go through. But unfortunately, I don't have that list. So what you guys got to record that or something. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm going to say is, you know, just check out everything we always talk about. Uh, check us out on the boards, palaver.com. Make sure you do all that. Follow us on Twitter, uh, PickleLoaf10, uh, GGTMC, that's me, Large William, that's Will, uh, Bob, Free- Bob Freelander, that's, that's uh, Rupert. So uh, just make sure you check us all out. Just hang around and everything else. Will should be back next week, but who knows? We'll see. He, you know, new baby. Again, I congratulate him. It's it's a lot of work, and I can't imagine having a two year old and a newborn. I, I feel for him right now because last night I was like I said on baby duty myself, and uh, woo, I had a rough night. So, <laughs> so it is what it is. But uh, Alex, I want to thank you for uh, popping onto the show with me today, man. Help me out. Well, thanks for having me again, and congrats to the large family yes, yes. The, uh, on your new edition. So. Yes. Good stuff, man. So I think uh, with all that, I'll say adios. Adios. And the outro will play shortly. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 